Like I, I would have bet you a million dollars probably. I mean, seriously, that I would not be able to accomplish that. So it's a little bit like starting your own business or jumping into any... Welcome back to another episode of Life Money You. I am so glad to have you here. First yeah. of all, did I tell you that I'm reading a book about anti-gravity? No. I cannot put it down. <laughs> nice. I think we're going to talk about books today, so that was Oh, we are going to talk about <laughs> Yes, books indeed, books indeed. Actually, this was your choice, dealer's choice today. And so... Obviously, there are a lot of books out there about finance and money. There is an unlimited number of choices. In fact, there may be a book coming out by you in the near future about finances as well, which I am sure will be excellent. Can I just say one thing before the name of the book? I want to talk about audiobooks really quickly. I, I do enjoy reading, but it is hard to fit it in right now in this season of life. And, but I do listen to audiobooks and I listen to podcasts and I always thought that I could somehow access it this way. And yet I look at how much time these audiobooks are, it was overwhelming. I'm thinking like, oh gosh, it's nine hours, 13 hours, 24 hours. There's some that are really long. And I just never thought I'd really be able to do that, especially now that I work mostly from home and I, I don't have a drive or anything. So I don't know how I was going to fit it in. But as we got to talking, you had encouraged me to check out Audible because you use it on a regular basis. And I forgot the fact that you can speed up how fast you listen to it. And we got to talking about some books to review. And I thought the only way I was going to really realistically be able to check out this book was by doing it on Audible. Got a membership for the book. I think it was an 11 hour book. And no joke, when I started it, I thought this will take me till the end of the year. So this was like two weeks ago that I started the book. I thought we won't be doing this episode till January. I think I got this thing knocked out in about seven days. It was unbelievable. I just listened to it on basically during all of the transitional time <laughs> during the day, like lots of different spots there, but I couldn't believe how fast it went. It was amazing. So if you're out there listening to this, feel free to speed it up. <laughs> but what speed did you listen to it? That's the question. <laughs> yeah, I think I did. I think I started at two X and that was a little fast for me. So I think I went to one and a half and that's where I ended up. And that was a, a good balance. And I couldn't believe it. I think I, the first time I listened to it, I think I knocked out like two and a half hours. <laughs> and it, I don't, I guess it would have been, what, about a hour and a half or hour, a little bit over an hour. But I think it somehow felt like less than that. And so it was just amazing to me that in a day I could listen to whatever that is, like a fifth of the book, basically, or a sixth of the book. So that's why I did in seven days or something like that, because it was just so fast. So anyways... Yeah, you I just, told me you thought it was going to take you longer. I didn't even download it. And then you were like, hey, I'm done. And I was like, oh, my gosh, we're going we're gonna to get on this. <laughs> so you did it in basically a week. I did it the following week. And I also wondered when I was going to have it. Now, I did schedule our time together, so I knew this was like a drop-dead date. So the last few days, I've been crushing this out. Like but 8X. I you. You've been doing like 8X speed. <laughs> I will tell you, I am, I'm doing 2.1X. Now, I oh, will tell wow. you that most of my podcasts I listen to at 2X. <laughs> And in finance, I've read a lot. So a lot of concepts are, yeah. you know, well-worn by right. various authors. This was not a heavy 
like data book at all. There are lots of things Good where point. I listen to some of my economics podcasts and I slow those down to maybe 1.2 or 1.3 because they're walking through some math because you can't see it. And then you really have to visualize that. So I would say this is not like that. It's This is much more stories, concepts, and she spends a lot of time on those concepts. So yeah, 2.1x with that. Now that's not something I have every book. When I listen to a book, it takes me maybe a, a couple of pages or whatever they read to dial in. Yeah, it's a little too fast. But Every narrator has a little bit different speed. And I think actually maybe this was narrated by the author itself. I think it was. Like yeah. Ricky Robin. So that was nice. But before we get to the book, it's called Life Hack, right? Isn't it amazing <laughs> yeah. how much passing time you have where maybe you don't listen to anything? But honestly, I would put it, because I've got it up right here, I would just put it in my pocket, play it. And w when I was walking out to get the mail or bringing in the garbage cans or running out to pick up dinner or Totally know, dropping off mail. That's the only times I listened to. I didn't have a scheduled time because I want to dedicate myself to work when I'm working. And so it's amazing how much few minutes here, 10 minutes here, and that's 20 minutes in the book adds up. And again, it's just a great life hack, whether it's podcast books. Honestly, I am all for using audio podcasts, audio books, even YouTube videos. A lot of them don't have say visuals. They're just speaking. You can just play those you can have your phone running you don't need to watch yeah. it great life actually and if you have the youtube app you can speed those up too in case you're wondering just oh put that's them right here yeah i think i've seen that before speed those well, up. i was amazed so again this is from not listening to audiobooks to now i have listened to two audiobooks in the last three weeks both on the same topic and i'm about to jump into a third one so knowing that I could probably read five books by the end of the year is unbelievable to me like i i would have bet you a million dollars, probably, seriously, that I would not be able to accomplish that. So it's a little bit like starting your own business or jumping into anything new. Like, you got to just do it. And then you figure out some ways to make it work, as in speeding it up. And there's a lot more of that sort of fringe time in the day than I thought. And I was just, I was really surprised because I was not doing this on time off. Like I was doing this during a normal day, not during work time, lunch, like you said, walking around the house, like just all different places. So it's, it was unbelievable to me. I, really, I still can't believe that I was able to finish this book so fast. Anyways, and just thought I needed to say that. <laughs> she talks about side hustles. You know that I've talked about side hustles for years because I'm big into them. And I think one of the big things is I don't have time for side hustles. And even in the presentations I do about side hustles, I go into where Americans I don't know where the rest of you, but where Americans spend their time. It's like when you look at budgets and we talk about spending leaks, there are tons of places where the accumulated amount of time in a week is massive, but you don't think about it because it's only an hour here, 15 minutes here, 20 minutes here. And, you know, when people, I think, especially when you think about side hustles and the way I think you were thinking about books, you look at this 11 hours, even if I listen to it on double speed, we're talking about five, six hours, where am I going to find that? But when you think about the accumulation of all those small bits that add up to that, I think that's that one blockbuster headline number that sticks with us. And you're like, honestly, I don't have six extra hours this week, but right. you do when you start piecing it together. And an audiobook is a great one because especially an Audible, just pause it. It'll pick up right where you left off. And uh, that circles us back to this book, Your yeah. Money or Your Life, which sounds like a robbery book, but it's not. It's <laughs> it a FI book, a financial independence book. And you picked this one. I actually had not heard of this, even for us really? in the FI yeah. community. I, wow. I don't think I had. Right. I, I'm okay. pretty sure I had not. I had not read it or anything like that, but you had heard of it. And because it's famous, right? 
Yeah, so Vicky and her buddy Joe, I forget his last name, but they... Dominguez? Dominguez, yeah. They co-wrote this book, I think maybe in the 70s or early 80s. It's a pretty mm. old book. Now, the version we listened to was an updated version, so I don't know exactly where they were at in this thinking about kind of financial independence and how that fit into the culture of the time, but I'm assuming it's very countercultural because that space has really only grown over the last maybe couple decades, decade, something like that. So I think in 2018, she just did a new version and added new stories and brought in other well-known people in the space. But everyone that I listened to in the financial independence space referenced this book as the father, the mother, or the father and the mother, I don't know, of, of this movement. And it's cool to think that how many years ago is that? 40, 50 years ago, it was written and it is still very relevant, as are a lot of books, right? They were written a long time ago or still very relevant today. But this one in particular, just because the movement has really only become a thing, I don't know, what would you say, like late 2000s, maybe something like that? It really, the it, it's a whole process that they walk through. And so I'm sure we're going to talk about that here. But overall, I think it was a really great book. Again, it's about an 11 hour, five and a half at double time hour uh, listen. And I, I really enjoyed it. And she does actually the narration on the audiobook, So we both checked that out. But yeah, I just knew that this one was one I wanted to check out at some point, and I had been meaning to read it for a really long time, and, and now was the time to, to check it out. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. So what did you think overall about it? Before we dive into some of the specific things, this yeah. is not going to be a walkthrough through the whole book. You can absolutely find some summaries online. Check it out for yourself. But just in general, like you, you said you liked it, but what did you like about it? Yeah. Or, so or was that just a generic platitude that you're giving to the book, and you have some mixed feelings? Yeah, it's just you and me. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody else is listening. Hey, listener, there's one out there. So it's very appropriately named. And I think it's an intriguing title. So I didn't actually know what it was fully about. I just knew that it was something about financial independence, like having freedom, probably accumulating enough money so you don't have to work if you don't want to. And those are parts of the book. But what like the main point of the book is basically trying to value your time. So trying to figure out, is your life energy, they talk about that a lot, your life energy worth spending on ABC? And the main one is your life energy. Should you spend that much on like your work, both not just the hours you're working at the office, but like all the extra things that come along with work, commuting when everybody was doing that more often, getting clothes for work, professional development, all those things. And I think what I appreciated was that it was nuanced enough where it wasn't just you shouldn't want to work. It was more trying to do like the calculation just to figure out, okay, how much is a hour of your time worth? And then as you think about other areas of your life, like your family or significant other or church, other organizations, different things that you're a part of, as you're thinking about spending time and energy there, like what's that worth? And if you can never ever do any of that because of your job or because of, or with some other commitments, are you thinking about your kind of holistic life or are you just focused on making money? And are you getting into the American mindset of just like you work till you're 65, you retire and you do retirement and that's it. So it's fighting against maybe the typical American dream mindset of save 10% of your income, basically rely on social security and whatever you've saved up and get Medicare and the typical path that's out there and trying to throw in another way of thinking about it. I think that she went into a lot of detail. That was probably my only beef with the book was after getting done with it, I was thinking, oh my gosh, that's a lot of things you have to do if you're going to follow this book to a T. So that'd be the only 
criticism that I have on the book. I actually enjoyed her stories. I thought they were super relevant, very they're real stories. So I think they that, that really stuck with me on different examples of people trying to do this, but they kind of have a method that you go through. And I was just thinking, wow, that feels not very doable for the average person just because it's just so many different steps. But the good thing is that I think the overarching themes and the overarching steps are things that you can do. So it's not all lost. But if you really want to go all in on this, you're going to have to commit some serious hours, probably more than 11 hours to make this all happen in your life. Yeah, I agree with you. Generally, I thought it was pretty good. And for someone who's thinking about the FI aspect of life, which is financial independence, which is generally the crossover point where you have the assets, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have the assets, maybe their capital, maybe their income generating assets, whatever it is, that can support your lifestyle. Now, as yep. you were saying here in the States, a lot of this is thinking, oh, you would hit that at 65 and there's the fire movement, retire early, which is kind of the same thinking, but just trying to move the number, which is funny yep. because sometimes that's very controversial. Oh, yeah. Why would you ever retire early? What, what, what is it about 65? What if it were 67? What if someone were like, well, I want it to be 64 and a half? You'd probably be like, well, that seems totally fine. Well, what if it's 62? <laughs> like, what does it matter? Exactly. Like, what if it's 43 exactly. or 31, you know, so it's just kind of arbitrary, but it's funny because we're all trying to get there. It's almost like if someone is thinking about it ahead of the consensus schedule, it's like they're the black sheep. So I don't get that. So I like this because I think it's a pretty good primer into financial independence. Obviously we've dived a little deeper into some stuff here, like the retire early and things like that. But for people who are thinking, what is FI all about? What is the financial independence movement about? Obviously if this is like, one of the founding books, I didn't realize it might be that old. It definitely seemed a little bit more modern to me because there's a lot of talk of ETFs and SRIs, socially responsible investing and things like that, which are more recent, but it makes a lot of sense, especially if you think back even 20, 30 years ago, that thinking about this crossover and thinking about it early, a lot of people, we call them pre-retirees, people in their fifties that are actively thinking about retirement. Why not be thinking about that in your twenties or your thirties? So I like that. I think that is a good way. And it's not an overly complex book. It's not super mathy or anything like that. Yeah. But I did have a few criticisms I mean, getting into some of the specifics. The first one, I think we're maybe talking about a similar thing here is that she talks about calculating your entire lifetime earnings as a project. Yes. And she gives you some methods <laughs> to do that. But I'll be honest, I did not do that. And in fact, as she's going through all this, I'm curious to what extent you went to this, but she talks about, you can go to the social security administration, look at old pay stubs. What did you get in gifts? If I were to do this, like if I were using a workshop or something like that and had people, I feel like there's two things that she's trying to do. She really wants you to get invested, put in the time, show that you're putting some skin in the game, blood, sweat, and tears into this. But on the other hand, what I think you could do is just take a few minutes and say, hey, what every year I worked, let's say it's... 2001, 2002, and so on. And what was my salary? I don't know, $43,000, $41,000. Just ballpark it if you can't remember. Like, what was their extra income? For most people, their earned income is their only money. Oh, I got married this year. If you want to do that calculation or if you want to just do it individually. But you could probably just ballpark it, come up with a pretty good number at the end, and that is probably good enough. This save to earned calculation she has. But... She obviously gives you and even suggests going quite a bit deeper than that. Can you tell me like what you did and how you were thinking about that? Because I think we're referencing yeah. something similar here. 
She does want to get you invested. That's for sure. <laughs> nice pun. I actually did do this. I did do the calculation. I went to the Social Security Administration, the website. I've got the logins for my wife and I. So I was able to get in there. I, it was fun, actually, to look it up and just refer back <laughs> to earlier life when we were both working and we had no kids. So dinks, as we call, called ourselves, and just thinking... Wow, so much has changed. My wife is not currently working outside of the home, but she's definitely working inside the home. We just it just has changed a lot over time. So you're now six. Is that what it is? Six. Oh yeah, exactly. So yeah. From dual income, no kids to <laughs> single income, be four kids, right? <laughs> four so. kids, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever you have you pronounce that. <laughs> doesn't work. Doesn't work quite as nicely, but doesn't roll off the tongue. I uh, I went through that and then I had a decent idea of my net worth because I have done that in the past. I think I even had a note on my phone from a while back. And so mm -hmm. I just, that's where I really ballparked it. Because to be honest, it's really hard to calculate all your possessions. It's like, you look at your house, you're like, I don't know how much you could go through every room even, and it would be hard to figure out what, how much everything is worth. If I sold a bed, if I sold a dresser, like, <laughs> I don't know, what's the going rate on those? No, no clue. So your collection just, of potato chips that look like historical figures. Yeah, that one, that's pretty rare. Priceless. Yeah. Yep, yep. Vikings memorabilia, it's going like hotcakes right now. So I did a little bit of an estimate there, but the earnings I thought were fairly accurate because I have worked only W-2 jobs. I've not done side stuff. Now, that being said, what she did say was you need to go and think about every dollar that you have ever gotten from anybody. <laughs> and it's gifts. Tips oh that my you gosh! Report, it's like yeah. money you found, things you yeah. sold. You know. It, so I think you can read the book and hear that, and it does sound a little overwhelming. But I ballparked that. I but I did have a decent idea, and it honestly was a lot more than I thought over the last however many years since being married. It was amazing. Just with like grandparents that had given a chunk of inheritance, and parents giving gifts for Christmas and just different things throughout the time where we've gotten stuff. So I added that up. I added that to our income, divided it by our net worth to get my lifetime wealth. You didn't ratio. mention any lottery winning. She mentioned. I did not win the those. 2 billion. I would not be here, but I've not done that. I should have subtracted out my casino losses because <laughs> I've mm. had plenty of those Good. when I was not, younger. <laughs> not the expense side, only the income side. Yeah. So I mean, it, I think it's helpful. You can go down the rabbit hole if you want. That to me was my main takeaway on the book was like, if you're into this stuff, go for it. Because you could spend hours and hours calculating this and you could totally geek out. And I'm I'm closer to that probably than the other side. I'm more close to the wanting to geek out on the numbers. But even I did not want to go through all that work. I calculated that and it, it's helpful, although it's hard with a lifetime wealth ratio because I'm including in the net worth like our house, like things that I'm not planning to sell anytime soon. Like it's not actual cash. And like the house value is only because of the market. It's not because of anything that I did with my money or anything. So it's maybe not the greatest calculation of all time, but it does give you some data just to look at everything you've ever earned, which was, that was honestly very interesting just to think about like how much has actually come in the door <laughs> and then thinking about how much you've got in stuff and value. And so yeah, not bad to do it, but I think you can go at about 90% of the rate that she's going on in that chapter because it was extremely intense. How could anyone ever even remember everything they've ever taken in? I, You'd have I to know. be pretty fastidious about it. And if you haven't worked very many years, then it's going to be a little easier. I felt like the whole point of that was, obviously, there's some education about it, but I really felt like the point of it was to drive home 
how little people hold on to versus how much goes yep. through their hands. For you sure. know, that people can do this calculation. And if you worked a long time or if you have high income jobs, you could say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I've had millions of dollars over the years paid to me. And when we talk about the vast majority of people that are living paycheck to paycheck, maybe they haven't bought a home. Maybe they haven't invested, set up a savings account. More often than not, people don't, right? So ultimately, if you think about, oh man, I've had these hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars come through my hand and I have zero or, you know, what even maybe feels like a lot. I have 50000 or $100,000, but versus what has come through, yeah, that, I think th that was really the point is that she's trying to get people to say, hey, I don't feel like I'm a high income earner. I've only made $27,000 a year for my whole life or whatever. But then I got married and someone else was making it and we've had these step ups and yet we still haven't figured out a way to make the budget work. And man, look at this. And hopefully that's eye opening so that you're in this mindset to tackle some of the other things, because then she goes into, I don't know if I call them the pillars of phi, because I feel like there were about eight kind of core points. Right. Yeah. Um, but then she gets into some of the other things. And one of the things that I want to talk about, cause I feel like it was a big piece. So if you get past that piece, you kind of figure out what you have done in life and what capability you have. She gets into the life energy yeah. you mentioned. So once you get through all that, then she gets into kind of this, I think more thoughtful process of understanding your life energy, which I think is an interesting way to look at it and a good way to it look is. at it. I think a lot of people do some of this kind of naturally, when, especially if you're an hourly worker and you have a, yep. let's call it a $10 an hour job, you are automatically conditioned like one hour of my work is worth $10. And so when you go to the movie theater and a the ticket is 25 bucks, you're like, I've got to work two and a half hours to buy this ticket. It's almost like if you're an hourly wage earner, you might already be programmed for this, but especially if you're salaried and you don't really break this down, it you may not naturally do this, but she talks about your life energy and how to value that. And maybe you could talk a little bit about the point she was making, looking at this kind of per unit basis of your life. Yeah. Again, you can go down the rabbit hole here. There's lots of detail you can put into this. The simplest formula would just be if you're working 40 hours a week and you're working a full year, you just use those hours. You take your salary divided by those, 2080, I think it is, um, and you get your hourly rate. You might even see it on your paycheck if you're a salary worker. But what she wants you to go further on is just all the extra time, all of the extra time you spend to work. So... If you drive two hours a day to get to your job, one hour, one hour, one hour there, one hour back, that's going into that focus. So that's two more hours every single day, 10 more hours every single week, 520 more hours every single year. And she also wants you to think about other time you spend to go to professional development, happy hours, other corporate types of things. And so that all adds up to total hours spent and then basically ending up with a hourly rate of your life energy that you're right. If you're an hourly worker, that's a bit more ingrained, but as a salary worker, it becomes a little bit more cumbersome to figure it out. So I think there's value in doing this just so that you have some sort of a metric per hour of work, probably a little bit more, I think on the spending side, like you said, like if it's helpful to know if I'm going to buy something like to think about it in terms of hours of life energy, as she talks about, I mean, it, 
She uses like a negative connotation throughout the whole book. Like it's sucking away my life energy. And that's not how everybody thinks about work, but it is a reality factor that if you need to spend that many hours or even more hours than another person to get the same ROI, then you just have to realize that that's going to hinder you from having time to spend on other things in your life. For some people, maybe work is their main focus. So that's okay because they're okay with spending tons of hours because they love it. That's where they have their friends and family maybe and all their community and other people want to minimize that because they want to spend as much time as possible doing other things with other people. And so that's where she's starting to move in that direction in this chapter. And I've done that before. Like I've calculated the hourly rate. I've factored in some of the other pieces. And I think it's helpful. I think it, it can be a good gauge too, if you're trying to figure out if there are things that you want to pay for that like you could do yourself. There's some math to that. Let's just say like mowing the lawn is a good example. I have chosen to pay to have somebody mow our lawn before I can do it. Too. I don't think it's a perfect formula to use my hourly rate to justify that because it's not like I'm going to go and work an hour on Saturday <laughs> to pay that. But it can be helpful as just a gauge. If your life energy is $20 an hour and it's going to cost $20 for an hour of work in your yard, that's not a bad equation for you. If it's way more or way less, then you may think about it a little bit more. If you're making $10 an hour, you're paying $30 an hour to mow your lawn, maybe Thinking about in the terms of, like we said, three hours of work to pay that, that's maybe not the best bang for your buck. So she's trying to create a common metric. I think that was what she was trying to do, a common metric in life that everybody can do to figure out how much their time is worth, assuming that everyone is having to work to some level early on, at least, as you're thinking about having the option of whether or not you work down the road. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think one of the things that you could throw in the mix that might complicate more is if you're lucky enough like us to have a job that we enjoy that we would maybe do for free, or I am at least, but you know, <laughs> good to know. Then, then it's not, hey, I'm trading off happiness for money. I'm doing something and it's, that can be a little bit more confused in a good way. Even kind of like mowing the lawn. For me, I have recently outsourced mowing the lawn, but it's really because I have more things on my plate and I have less time. But I actually enjoyed it. For me, I have a riding lawnmower. And as you were talking about, that was kind of my time. It wasn't heavy lifting because I'm on the rider to have my Bluetooth headphones on, listening to podcasts, listening to audiobooks, and on 2x speed, you can crush through it. It would take me a few hours to mow my lawn. And it just was some time where you can get through six hours of podcasts. And some of those podcasts we've discussed, we'll probably discuss some more. But I really enjoy them because... That's a time for me to invest in myself in some ways to get some new ideas, try some yep. new things. And maybe it's just a murder mystery or whatever you like, but just because you're doing something, that time might actually be a worthwhile investment for you. So I like it. The life energy thing was an interesting way for her to mention it. I kept thinking back to the Dark Crystal, like the Muppets movie, where they were like robbing like the, the gelflings of their life energy. So <laughs> kind of this it does weird... have kind of a negative connotation yeah. to it. Like you're getting your life energy sucked away. That was a little bit of an undertone of the book. Yeah. So, you know, not Here's everybody, not everyone. Life energy. Yeah, exactly. Not everyone thinks about work like that. So <laughs> I don't think she was totally fair on that side. But you have to come up with some sort of metric and maybe yeah. if she did it, that, that made sense. But I get what she's talking about. And I almost think our salary people at a disadvantage because we don't even think about like the exchange of our time for the money. It's almost like a program that I get money on this regular basis and it's the same 
regardless of how hard I work or how long I work or whatever it might be. And so maybe this is even better for people that are salaried that you buy a vacation and it's whatever thousands of dollars, but you have money coming in. So it's fine, but you don't think about it as this exchange of my effort and how much effort is it worth it? Am I getting my life energy replenished by making this purchase on vacation? Or as she talks about like the Zingas pins, yes, that's that's right. I, I may not be mentioning that. <laughs> right, right. No, that's right. That's right. Because she says it like a thousand times in the book. <laughs> About so. a million times. Oh, and, and, a gazingous for, amount of times. <laughs> for people that are listening, a gazingous pin is like a generic term for an impulse buy, something that you see that you can't pass up. So she says it a ton of times, whereas it's a little bit like, couldn't you just say impulse buy? Because I also feel like when moving forward became a term, like moving forward, we'll do this. Couldn't we also just say from now on, like we did. I feel like we're always <laughs> reinventing terms. Gazingaspin is not a term I'd heard anywhere other than this book. Apparently Same. it is out there and I had never heard it, but she talks about that. And I think that's maybe the point that stuck with me the most because I do have a tendency to impulse buy. I do have a tendency to add stuff into the shopping cart when I go grocery shopping and not necessarily stick to list. Sometimes I don't even have a shopping list, which is probably a problem, then it just becomes, what do I think we need? So there's probably some improvement there, but there's a lot of times like go to the theater and you're like, I do want a hot dog, or I do yeah, want to share exactly. that. You know, and I think part of this is just being aware if we do some of these things and saying, do those nachos add anything to my life energy? Is it worth the life energy that I trade for them? And for some people who might be more fortunate financially, great. But for some of us who, especially, I know you've worked a lot with people with their budgets, and a lot of times we talk about spending leaks, right? Where did all this money go Yeah, we can't account for? <clears throat> I think it's the gazingas pins. And so I, I did like that. That is something that resonated with me because I have this tendency to do this. Can I just, one thing I was just going to add there, because it is kind of hard to do this calculation, but one example, right? Let's just say you have zero dollars right now. You have nothing saved. You have no money coming in, Okay. And you have a credit card. Have you been looking and, at my checkbook, Bjorn? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'll get out of there. So you go into some store, that Gazingas pin, and you buy it along with the other stuff. And so now let's just say it was $100. And you, Well, we were at Target last night, and we went in for milk and cream. Okay? I think that costs about $5. We walked out having paid $60. <laughs> so we found some Gazingas pins, too, last night. We love you, Target. And uh, let's just say you were going to spend 50, you spend 100. I think the key is that $50, right? How much work is that going to take to recuperate that? Most people, they're not thinking in these terms of, I have zero, I just spent, and now I've got to recoup that. Because fortunately, you might have a little bit of money in your checking account or whatever. But if you think about it like that, makes it more real. Because then it's like, I got to make up 50 extra dollars. And if I'm making 10 bucks an hour or 20 bucks, whatever, let's say you're making 20 bucks an hour, that's two and a half hours of work for just that impulse purchase. Was it really worth it? Some people might go, no, not in those terms, because that's two and a half hours of work. It took me two minutes to buy that stuff. So just thinking about it like that, I think can maybe help make it a bit more real versus just this kind of nebulous thing. And that's maybe one thing she tried to do in the book, but it's good unless you give it an example like that. And you make a good point because, you know, when I started working hourly, and I made four twenty-five an hour. I think I was above minimum wage, but it was funny because at that time I would have to think about these things. If I'm going to buy this, or if we're going to go out to dinner with my friends, or I'm going to go on this spring break trip, 
how many hours am I going to have to work? And sometimes that's overwhelming because you're thinking about like how slowly income comes in, especially when you're making it, you know, that specifically trading that time for that money. And I bring this up because I kind of want to skip ahead a little bit because she goes down this path of traditional personal finance where we talk about cutting the expenses. So I want to fast track past that a little bit because I think that's pretty yeah. common in personal finance that when we talk about people right-sizing their budget, getting their finances in order, we talk about cutting down the expenses. But she does have a fairly robust section on valuing your life energy by increasing your income. And I wanted to talk about that because that's something that for any number of reasons, we stay away from. Sometimes people don't want to talk about that because you don't want to have someone working two jobs or you don't want to have your employees working an additional job. Sometimes, as we talked about at the beginning, I don't have money. I've got family. I don't want to rob them of my attention or whatever it is. But she talks about in a lot of different ways from earning to investments and just a lot of other things. Yeah. And I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on what she was talking about and in increasing your income side of things. Yeah, there's so many different ways to do it. Because again, we just tend to gravitate toward things that we've always known. And so again, if you're working an hourly job or you're working a salary job, your view of what a side gig is just then, I have to work hours to make money. That is one way you can do it for sure. And I know you've done some of that, but there's tons of ways to make passive income too. And she talks a lot about that, like investing in S&P 500 mutual fund, just getting dividends, investing in real estate, doing house hacking. Like a, like you could provide a room to somebody, right? And they pay you income and you save on that side, but then you get the income. And there are so many different ideas in that space now that it is not stuck on an hour of work for an hour of pay. It's not the age old sort of traditional concept. There are a number of different ways and you can find something that works. Even just the, we've talked about before, but just the concept of selling stuff in your house. Like it's amazing because you get rid of stuff you're not using. It takes you a few minutes to post it online. And if you price it right and somebody wants, they come to you to get it. So your amount of time spent, as we heard in a previous podcast, was I think Stephanie's averaging 30 minutes item. Most of us could fit in 30 minutes. We fit in 30 minutes to do a lot of other things during the day. It doesn't have to be a big thing. And it can definitely be at any time in the evening, uh, after work hours, your normal work hours, like it, that you can totally do this. And she goes into a lot of detail. That, that's another major takeaway in the book was just detail. Like she's very detailed, maybe overly detailed a little bit, but that's why 2X is nice on the audio book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And she kind of talks about a like 40 hour work week is a construct. And what's the difference between 40 and 41 or taking a 45 minute lunch instead of a 60 minute lunch? So I appreciate that because I generally think 40 is probably a good balance, but honestly, 36 sounds pretty good to me too sometimes. So, <laughs> you know, if you can find an employer that has a work week like that, and there, there are some that have some restructured work weeks. So the numbers are just fake. It's really about you, like what opportunity do you have? If you don't have a commute, you might have 10 hours a week that somebody else does not, right? Someone would be like, oh, I wish I had it, but I've got this long commute or whatever it might be. But the other thing is, and you talked about, he gives a lot of examples. Some of them, I think I felt a little bit like they were repeated a lot. Like she used a lot of examples of people renting out space in their home. I don't know that's actually like the top thing that a lot of people would want to do, yeah. having people there. I don't know that there's a lot of renters in some places. If you live in an area where there's a lot of cheap apartments or a suburb that's not near 
city center businesses could be tougher, but she talks about dividends and interest and rental checks. She talks about clipping coupons like on bonds when that was the thing, you know, and I think one of the things that I noticed is that she was even throwing some things in there that don't provide a lot of income, that aren't necessarily a lot. You'll probably have to have a decent nest egg if, you know, it's only going to spin off 3% or 4% a year, but it can be done, right? And you're better off getting something over nothing. And obviously, if you can get passive income, that usually trumps, say, having active income. But if you can find a balance in there, expand your income side of the equation, raise that savings rate, suddenly the crossover point that we're talking about, you know, that point where you can retire because your assets now satisfy your needs. Now, instead of age 65, might actually be age 60 or 61 or maybe 55 or maybe closer yeah. and closer to your age. And I think that could really great way. She even talks about her co-author, Joe, I think, reaching five by using treasury bonds. Again, probably yeah. not something that a lot of people would want to do. Right, totally. But if you have the assets, you could certainly do that. So I really like that. Now, this will get me to kind of towards the end. She gets into some investments. She talks about this. This is probably where my second piece of criticism comes in, is that there's a lot of talk about, and I'm not anti any of this, right? So I use some index funds and some socially responsible investing funds and things like this. But it's not just a criticism about this book, but it's a criticism generally more about the FI community is that I feel like there's this tendency to read a little bit, hear some rules, even misinterpret some of the data sometimes and make some decisions or commit yourself to something that may not be the right thing for the long run. And I think a little bit of only invest in ETFs, only invest in index funds, only invest in this, this outperforms this. Any of these things that are boiled down to chapter two in a book are usually overly basic for most people. So I think they can apply to a lot of people. You may do your own due diligence on what investments are right for you and come to the exact same conclusion. But I think what ends up happening for a lot of people is that they want to do it themselves. They want to duplicate what other people are doing. They read a couple of paragraphs, chapters in the book, and they think these are hard and fast rules that they must abide by. And I would just say, Yes, you might want to use an index fund. I have used some in the past. Um, I also use some active managed funds. I use some high expense funds. I use some very low expense or no expense funds. I buy some individual stocks. She kind of says to stay away from that. So I've done a lot of different things, seen bonds. I've done some wacky things where I've wrapped immunities and wrappers that you probably wouldn't do, but they made sense at the time. There are a lot of different products that she doesn't talk about, annuities and insurance products and things like this that a lot of people use to achieve certain financial goals. And so I don't want to diminish those because... Even if you just only read books that are specific about investing, usually that doesn't give you all of the information you need. And the space, I think, also innovates fairly quickly, too. So um, I while agree. I get that she's saying that it doesn't have to be complex, doesn't have to be expensive, you can get started. I appreciate that. But I probably, in my opinion, I wouldn't necessarily start making your investment decisions based on the couple chapters at the end where she even suggests maybe some funds that you could use and certainly seek out the advice of a professional so that you can make the best decision or just get started with something like this, but keep an open mind and keep exploring. Yeah. Like I think with our financial lives as a whole, sometimes it can be, like you said, overly simplified where it is almost like the antithesis. I'm not sure if that's the right term, but of the kind of all or nothing, but in the reverse way. So like healthy way, all or nothing. Like you think, oh, the FI movement says only invest in this type of fund 
all, all of it, hundred percent, and you're gonna be fine. But because it's super diversified, like it doesn't matter. You're gonna have it like that. It'll just keep it really simple. In the same vein, your financial life as a whole doesn't have to be all or nothing. Most of us are saving for probably three to 10 different financial goals and all at the same time. And so we need to be willing to be putting some here, some there, some over here, some over there. And that is just good diversification anyways. So there are a lot of examples of where you're gonna have to be doing multiple things at the same time. And buying a home is a perfect example, right? If the smartest way to buy a home, this could be argued, I guess, but the smartest way would be don't take out a mortgage, go and pay in cash. Most people cannot do that for 30, 40, 50 years. So would you say it's smart to wait 50 years and then save up enough money and then buy a house? Or is it okay to get a mortgage, put money in savings, have that invested, get your full employer match? Like there's just all these different trade-offs and most of us are having to deal with lots of these all the time. So to boil down only one type of investment, one vehicle, one thing. I get what they're trying to do there. I appreciate the simplicity, but I agree with you that there needs to be more nuance. That's where talking with the coach, talking with a financial professional, CFP, just someone in your family you trust that's done it well. Talk with somebody just through your thinking process because you probably don't know everything and we wouldn't say we know everything. So it's just good to have a conversation about it. Yeah, I, you're right. I've been in personal finance for 22 years professionally and licensed and done that. And I'm always learning, always going to conferences where they're telling about new products and how things reacted. And like I said, a lot of innovation. So I think for people that are looking at retirement over the next few years or 20 years, I think it's maybe the best time ever because they have access to things that our parents and our grandparents did not in so many ways. So there are ways to lock things in and just a lot of options. And I'm not saying that you do all your research and you don't come back to exactly the same place. But what I'm saying is you still wanna do your own due diligence and not boil things down. I think where I worry sometimes is that you can listen to 30, 40 minutes of people talking about investments. They'll tell you, you should only do this. This always outperforms this. First of all, if anything always outperformed anything else, all the rest would not exist, period right? Exactly. You know, it it exactly. doesn't work like that. There's always some nuance and socially responsible investing. I do some of that. And a lot of people are like, oh, they always outperform the non-socially responsible investing. That's not true. Sometimes they will in some categories, they will, some indexes, totally. some funds, but they're different. They invest in different things. So there's always a lot of nuance. I find generalizations and investments can be fine as a starting point. As soon as you peel back the onion, they get very complex. And as I was saying, what I worry about sometimes is that Many times there'll be a 30 minute podcast on investments. Here are the rules, but then there will be a two hour podcast on how to hack credit cards for the best reward points, right? What is probably more complex, the investment world or the credit card reward points world, right? And so sometimes we happily go down the rabbit hole on some of these things yeah. where there's maybe some limited value and we don't spend the time on some of the things that might be totally consequential or foundational to do we actually ever retire? Totally. I, and it's not a criticism specifically of this book. She wants to get digestible and small. And I think as a primer, as a place to start, if you're thinking about kind of getting into the financial independence side of things, this is a great place to start. I didn't realize it had this long history. And yeah. I think the preface was written by Mr. Money Mustache, who obviously is a big name in the FI movement itself. So I like the fact that it's good food for thought 
with some of the introduction to the principles. And I think we'll probably continue to go down the rabbit hole. Now with your Audible account, maybe read some more <laughs> books and share those too. So I like it. You've gone on to another book already, right? Yeah, I have another one in the financial independence movement. So maybe we can. Yeah. <clears throat> what I like about this too is that earlier you were talking about, you know, 50 year olds retiring or having the option to. First of all, what I like about the financial independence movement is that it's not just assuming that everyone is just retiring early. It's just a choice. It's okay, now I have freedom. I can do a different kind of job. I can take time off. I don't have to keep the same level of everything. I can change. I have more flexibility. Imagine the freedom that you'd feel if you were at that point. But when I hear that, or initially when I heard like a 50 year old, let's just say retiring, I'm just thinking, Oh, that's only for the wealthy people. That's just for people making upper six figures. Like they just have tons of extra. They're saving it. That's why they're 50 year old and retiring. This whole movement really just debunks that altogether because really it's just the difference between how much comes in and how much goes out. And you have control over both of those levers more than you ever have probably in the history of the world. And it, it can be done on a much smaller budget. And in fact, many of the examples they share are people that are living on like, $7,000 a year, $12,000 a year, $24,000 a year. We're not talking I, even, I would say, low end of middle income for people in terms of spending. They're trying to create that gap and they're investing, saving, putting tons and tons of money aside. And they're not following that age old thing I said at the beginning of the 10 to 15 to 20%, whatever. There's lots of different math out there. They're trying to do 50%, 80%, putting that aside in speeding up that equation, because essentially it does come down to a math formula and that's all it really is. But with that, as it is with most personal finance, it's much more personal than finance. So there's just a lot of behavioral stuff, right? Delaying your gratification now. There's so many things we want to do and buy and experience. And so being able to say no to those things now so that you could say yes to them for 20 more years than another person, <laughs> maybe is worth it. So I appreciate that about the book. She does a good job of explaining that the movement as a whole, it's not just for people making a lot of money. It's actually almost works better for people who are living on way less because that almost sometimes feels like the harder thing to adjust for people, especially coming down. That's It's really hard to adjust down. And so if you can cap your lifestyle and really work to up that savings rate, you can accomplish this too. So it, it is exciting to think about. And you're absolutely right. And one of the things that I was thinking about is her comment about life energy is worth it. And I think she even has a section where she talks about the growing size of houses over the years, right? Like your grandparents' generation yeah, had totally a 700 right. square foot house, your parents had a 1400 square foot house, and now it's over 2000, whatever it might be. Just kind of making the point that they're bigger. And I actually just watched this YouTube video, younger guy, you know, I've kind of followed the tiny house movement. I'm always intrigued by it because to me, I like houses, but it's not really the thing that I get all jazzed about. And this kid bought a trailer, a used trailer, kind of ground off all any of the rust, repainted it, treated it, you know, through his local hardware store, bottled stuff for $8,000, built himself a tiny home and not just like a box on a trailer. It was pretty nice with the skylight and slanted roofs and some big picture windows and a loft. And it's not everything that you're going to get in a kind of a standard house. And it has to be hooked up to plumbing if you want that and electricity or gas or whatever. But I'm thinking, Here's someone now with a roof over the head on a trailer, put it on the back of his truck, wherever, can see the world. He may never have a house payment until he wants to get it. But how 
aberrant is that to kind of our conventional way of thinking where if you're not in a house, you should at least have a $1,500 a month apartment because you need some basic stuff and just rethinking it. I think that's the big totally. key here is that instead of $2,000 a month for housing payments, you could spend $8,000 and have your house worked out for the next few years and still have that as an office or a playhouse or something like that in years to come. So I just like the idea of rethinking opening it up to new thoughts, not being boxed into age 65 or you have to live like this or you have to have this standard of living or these uh, gazingas pins or whatever it might be. And we'll be talking more about that. A lot of people chalk them up to life hacks, but we're going to be doing a lot of unthinking, rethinking, exploring additional concepts. So I'm looking forward to that. But you're picking the next book. I will say here that if you do want to pick up a copy of this book, I'm going to put a link to it in the description so that you can get it on Audible if you want. I would certainly say that's been really good to both you and me. You can sign up yeah. even for a free trial. So I'll put a link to Audible if you want to do it in an audiobook. A uh, great way to hack those lost minutes in your day back into productive time for your life. I love it. Any closing thoughts for you? Yeah, it's a great book. It'll definitely give you a good intro into this space. There are a number of other great books. So I imagine that some of the future conversations will be about some more books in this space, because I think this is where I would say we're both seeing the most creative thinking and new thinking versus the age old same concepts. People willing to do really radical things in their life to speed up this formula. So can't wait to learn along with these authors and share some of that back with y'all that are listening. So thanks so much, everybody. Thanks so much. See you next time. Mm -hmm.